right, unstoppable road trip week Woo! one. Here we go. White Bear Lake. All right, so what do we know about White Bear? Uh, built in 1972. Yeah. It was first Baptist Church and then right. changed to Eagle Brook Church in the 90s. A lot of the people at White Bear have been going for a really long time. I'm sure they've seen a ton of changes. I wonder what it's been like for them. Hey, that's a really good angle. Let's go find out. Should that be our thing? Let's do it. Let's make that our thing. We're coming, White Bear. White Bear Lake! And look, there's Don Graffin just waiting at the door, waiting for us. <laughs> nice to see you, Don. How's it going, Mike? All right. Hi, thanks for coming, thanks, guys. Thanks for yeah. having us. Great to see you. So, rumor has it, you might be looking for some of the people that have been attending for the longest period of time. We are. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's amazing because we happen to be getting started in just a minute here with a special service called Encompass. No kidding. Yeah, would you like to check it out? Oh, can we? Awesome. Let's do it. Let's go. All right, here we go. Is there coffee? There is coffee. I would love some coffee. Yeah. We discovered 200 senior adults at White Bear gathering to sing, pray, and study the Bible. Some of these folks have been at White Bear for over 50 years. We sat down with two women who've been coming almost 60 years, Gwen and Virginia. Hey, thanks so much for talking to us, Virginia and Gwen. Uh, we just want to ask you a few questions. What was Eagle Brook like when you first started attending? Well, as we said, 150 people, small. To me, it was like one big family. What's the biggest change that you've seen from those early days to now? We went from suits and ties and dresses to more casual. Sometimes not seeing a familiar face as we have grown, and you know, not having a, an organ and not having a choir. And I'm a traditionalist, I'll have to admit. Change is not easy for me. But church isn't all about me either, you know? Right. What's your favorite hymn? Oh, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. That's a great one. I love that. Now, when you attend on the weekend, what's it like to be in the kind of space you're in now. Kid, I think it's a thrill, really, to see all the people that are coming. When you have so many accepting the Lord, isn't that what it's all about? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Reaching others for Christ, that's always been the goal of this church. It's beautiful, even though we've gone through lots of changes, the Lord is here. So there you go. Now, White Bear Lake was our only campus until 2005, but next week we'll take you to our second campus, Lionel Lakes. But for now, it's time for today's message from Pastor Bob Merritt in our series, Unstoppable. See you next week. Oh, welcome everybody to all of our campuses meeting throughout the Twin Cities today. I'm glad you could join us. I wanna welcome those of you watching online as well around the country and world. More and more of you are, are joining us online and we're so glad that you can do that. So welcome to you. And you know, this is the time of year in Minnesota when winter gets really, really long and it really gets old. And I told my wife the other day, I said, this is the time of year when people just, you know, just get so bored they just go out and buy a new car. <laughs> or they, they want to trade it to kids because, you know, kids are great when they're 18. But man, when you got a couple little, little ones running around and you're trapped inside the house in Minnesota, it gets really, really long. 
And I just want to give you a verse that really helps me when I get down and just, just trying to slug it through. This verse is familiar to many of you. It, it goes like this. You can do all things through Christ who gives you the strength. You can make it. It's only three weeks from March. Less than three weeks. You can make it. You can do all things through Christ who gives you the strength. So don't do anything stupid, okay? You can do it. You can make it through. You can get through this time. Hope that's encouragement to you. Uh, we're in a series called Unstoppable from the Book of Acts. Unstoppable is a great title. Acts was written by Luke, who is an eyewitness to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Luke was also a doctor. He's a physician. So he looked at life through the lens of details and facts. So it's no surprise that this book is called the Book of Acts. It's the acts or activities of what happened after Jesus' death and resurrection. So Luke uses words like this. He says, God raised Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of that fact. It's not something we've made up. It's a fact of history that happened. He says, Jesus was accredited to you by miracles and wonders as you yourselves saw. So again, factual, seeing things as you yourselves know. We can't help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Luke is very factual. In other words, the early disciples like Luke were fueled not by what they believed so much, but by what they saw. It's what set Christianity apart from every other religious movement in the world. Jesus' miracles, death, resurrection, and ascension into heaven was something that people actually witnessed. They actually saw it with their own eyes. It's the reason, by the way, we're all here today because of what Luke and others actually saw. Acts is the beginning of the Christian church that Jesus said will continue to grow and expand across the globe until he returns a second time. By the way, Jesus is coming a second time. We don't know when. We don't know the date. Only God the Father knows that. But the church all started with 120 believers in Jerusalem that today numbers 2.1 billion people around the world. Almost a third of the world's population claim some kind of faith in Jesus Christ. I'm standing here today on this stage uh, as one of those 2.1 billion people because of what happened in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. But I want to give you a little history of my own experience with churches uh, in my life. Some of you know that my dad was a pastor, so I was around churches all my life. My earliest memory of church when I was two years old where I was born in Norway, Michigan. So I'm a youper. Some of you might be youpers. I don't know. But I don't remember anything else about Norway except the big white steps in front of our church and an old white-haired man named Conrad Swanson who every Sunday after church would dig into his pocket for some hard candy and give to us kids. And we would blow the pocket dust and dirt off the candy, pop it into our mouth. But my earliest memory as a child was of a Christian man in a church who just loved us. In fact, a couple of years later, I begged my parents to change my name from Bob, which I thought was kind of lame, to Conrad, which I thought was really, really cool. Now, I'm glad they didn't do it. But my earliest memory as a child was of a kind Christian man in a church. When I was three, we moved to North St. Paul, Minnesota, where my dad became the pastor of North St. Paul Baptist Church. We have a picture of uh, the four of us kids. I'm right there in the middle. I'm always happy. As you can see, and my younger sister was always crabby. It was always like that. I don't know, still kind of is. <laughs> but my fondest memories from ages three through nine, I have three fond memories. Fishing for bullheads with my brother on Silver Lake. Going to the dump. That was a highlight. 
going to the dump to shoot rats and bottles with our BB guns, and then going to junior church down in the church basement with Bob and Clarice Peterson as our teachers. Clarice taught the Bible lessons and led the songs. And I'm not kidding you, Bob Peterson held me on his lap almost every single Sunday to try to keep me quiet. I just loved being there and was a little bit active. But I don't remember one thing Clarice taught us. Not a thing. But I do remember the treats that they gave us every weekend and how they loved us. They were just like Jesus to us. About 10 years ago, I started seeing Bob and Clarice starting attending our church here at Eagle Brook. And they would wait after services, and then they would kind of shuffle down, really old now, about, you know, 80-something or other, come down the aisle, and they'd want to give me a hug, and they would always call me little Bobby Merritt. And I'm like, you know, I'm in my 50s. Uh, but little Bobby Merritt is what they called me. Well, last year, I spoke at Clarice's funeral in the same church basement where she helped lead me to faith in Christ. But folks, and I'm honest before you, what affected me more than anything as a young boy were two Christians in a church who just loved me. When I was nine, we moved to Joliet, Illinois, a place you don't want to live, really. But we lived there for five years, where my dad became pastor of the Bethel Baptist Church. My dad was instrumental in building that church. But there I met a guy by the name of Andy Graparis, a big, jolly Greek man who, whose love for Jesus just radiated through him. Andy led 12 of us boys in what was called Christian Service Brigade, which was a Christian version of the Boy Scouts, I guess. But he taught us the value of respect and discipline and memorizing Bible verses. He would lead us on camping and fishing trips. And I remember sitting around campfires late at night with Andy, and he would tell us about how much Jesus loved us and how Jesus had a plan for our lives. And what affected me in my early teens, I'm telling you more than anything else, was a Christian man in a church. I can still hear Andy say to me, Bobby, Make Jesus number one in your life, and he will use you to do great things someday. Andrew Gaparis is like a second dad to me. When I was 14, we moved to Newcastle, Pennsylvania, where my dad became the pastor of First Baptist Church. Again, my dad was instrumental in, in leading that church and building it as well. One of my best friends at 14 was John Kimmel. His uncle, Dick Kimmel, was our Sunday school teacher. And one night, John's parents tragically were killed in an automobile accident, and I will never forget sitting next to John in church, 14-year-old kids, while we watched two caskets of his parents wheel down past us in the church. It was his Uncle Dick who consoled us and taught us boys about our need for eternal life, and are we ready for the day when that happens to us? And he was so kind and tender as he led us through those moments of what eternity meant and what it meant to know Jesus. A few years later in that same church, it was a man by the name of Neil Smith, 30-year-old insurance guy, who taught us the Bible. I would come home from college, and he would lead 40 of us college kids in the basement of that same church you just saw. And I just saw Jesus Christ um, spoken through Neil. He was so humble and so gifted as a teacher but I'm telling you, it was a couple of Christians in a church in Newcastle, Pennsylvania, who taught me and built into me and pointed me to Jesus Christ. After I graduated from college and seminary, it was a little church in Fallen, Wisconsin, where I met people like Helen Tyberg, Laverne Sandberg, and Kenny Hayes. Kenny was one of my deacons, and I was just a young kid, 26, 27 years old. But Kenny's love for Jesus was so deep that whenever he talked about his faith, he began crying. 
I loved listening to Kenny pray. Kenny came out of a life of alcoholism, was healed of it. And so whenever Kenny would pray, he would just thank God from the depths of his being for saving him. And it was just like you're in the presence of Christ. But it was a group of Christians in a little country church in Fallen, Wisconsin, who showed me the undeniable love and power of Jesus. Again, I was just 26, 27 years old. After Fallen, I went out to Penn State for three years to uh, get another degree in whatever, for whatever reason. I, I don't know, but I did. And we ran into Dan and Cindy Money. We were just a young family. We were so poor. We didn't know anybody. We didn't have anything. And they loved us. And they took us in. They bought things for our kids. Two unknown Christians in a Presbyterian church who were just sent from God. And I was trendsetting back then with my, with my outfits. <laughs> you can see how cool I was. But then I got a call from a guy by the name of Frank Mustar from White Bear Lake, and they were without a pastor. And they said, Bob, would you be willing to come and, and talk to us and see if we can work this out? And so I came to this small church in White Bear Lake, and I met people like Frank and Gerhard Paragut, a German Christian guy still here, Brian and Penny Hegseth still here, Ed and Clody Harrell are still here, Christian men and women who had been praying for somebody, now get this, they had been praying for somebody to lead their church to reach other people in the Twin Cities. I was 34 years old, I had no strategy, I had no idea how to lead a church at all, and within the first 18 months, my associate resigned, my worship leader quit, and I was left with a part-time secretary and a bunch of people who thought I was the wrong guy. It was so hard on me. I almost didn't make it. I almost gave up and thought, God, what else can I do? I don't want to do this. What else can I do? But that group of Christians loved me through that time. They helped me see that even though it's tough, sometimes God has a plan. And over the next 23 years, that little church of 300 people grew into a church of 23,000, and it's still going. Now, I mention that because I think some people think, you know, we've always been this way. It's always been big and great and everything's going. But, I, but I'm telling you, what you see and experience every week is a miracle from God. Uh, last weekend, I sat in church with my entire family for the first time, seven of us. Little Ibby, three weeks old, was her first time in church. We sat right over here, and I thought, man, if she makes any noise, she's out of here. You know, <laughs> please don't scream or cry or anything, because, you know, I don't care. You're gone. <laughs> but we were sitting right over here, and uh, all seven of us, and I watched a couple thousand people stream into the Lionel Lakes campus on a Saturday night from all walks of life. And I, I leaned over to my wife and I said, I still can't believe this. And I felt so grateful. By the third worship song, we were standing there together, we just started crying. And we couldn't even sing because we know, my wife and I know, that what's happening here at this church is purely an anointing from God. It's a miracle. And I know some of you have had bad experiences in churches. You know, maybe you were turned off or offended by people who said they were Christians but didn't act like it and they were hypocritical, and I understand that. That's because every church is filled with imperfect, sinful people. I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, we're all sinners. No church is perfect. It isn't. Ours isn't. 
but some of you had a bad experience, and, but you're, you're here today, and it's, there was a turning point maybe, and we're so glad you're here. But I give you that history for two reasons. First, the people who loved me, prayed for me, taught me, and made me who I am today all intersected my life in a church. It wasn't on a sports team or golf course classroom or some bar. But the people who affected my life and made me who I am today, I met them in a church. I found my way to God. And I found my place in this world because of the people in a church who just changed my life through the power of Christ. I'm telling you, when it's working right, the church is the most powerful, life-transforming place on the planet. Second reason I give you that history is because everything I've just told you all goes back to a moment 2,000 years ago in Acts chapter 2. Our church is here today because of what happened in Acts 2. The church in North St. Paul, uh, Joliet, Illinois, Newcastle, Pennsylvania, and Fallen, Wisconsin all exist because of Acts chapter 2. Friends, the only reason I'm standing here with all of you today is because of what happened 2,000 years ago when Peter stood up in Jerusalem just six weeks after Jesus' death and resurrection, and Peter said this, God raised Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of that fact. Now, Peter made that statement in the middle of Jerusalem where tens of thousands of Jews were gathered to celebrate Pentecost, Many of those people gathered that day were in the same crowd who called for the crucifixion and death of Jesus just six weeks earlier. Six weeks ago, they were dragging Jesus off to be crucified, and Peter was running for his life. Remember, he was afraid. He was denying even knew Jesus to at least three different people. He was scared to death that he'd be next. But here he is six weeks later. He's now standing in the same place with the same crowd who dragged Jesus away to be crucified. And I want you to see now what Peter says to this great crowd in Jerusalem. He says, people of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was accredited by God to you by his miracles, signs, and wonders, which God did among you as you yourselves know. This man, Jesus, was handed over to you, and you with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him up from the dead because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Therefore, Peter says, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, I remind you once again, if you haven't forgotten, if you've forgotten already, just whom you crucified, God has made him both Lord and Christ. You could hear a pin drop, just like you could now. Nobody knew what was going to happen next. Peter didn't know. Peter didn't know if they'd drag him away and beat him up like they did Christ and sentence him to death as well. He didn't know. Some in the crowd had to wonder, isn't this the same guy who six weeks ago denied that he even knew Jesus? And how does he get off accusing us? of killing the Holy One of God. But Peter didn't care. Why didn't he care? Because he saw Jesus get beaten. He saw him bleed 
and die. He saw him come back to life three days later, and he saw him appear in the upper room where he held out his hands to Thomas and the rest of them and said, take a look. I was dead, but I'm alive again. Broke the curse. So Peter stood up and proclaimed the truth because he could not deny what he had seen. And friends, that was the turning point in all of history, and it's why you and I are here today in this church. But I want to ask a question. Have you experienced a spiritual turning point personally? Peter stood up and gave this this great speech, and he said, now God's forgiveness and love and power is available to all of you. And you have to wonder, what are the people going to do at this point? You know, are they going to drag him off and sentence him to death like they did Christ? I want you to see what they said in verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Have you ever been cut to the heart by a sin that you committed? Have you ever been so convicted by something that you did wrong, convicted by God that you were, you were just cut in your heart and you said, God, what should we do? Friends, this is the turning point in your life, in my life, in the lives of these people in this crowd. This is the turning point when we finally say, God, I'm cut to the heart, I'm convicted, I know I'm a sinner, what should I do? Look what Peter says. He says, each of you must turn from your sins and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for all of you here in Jerusalem, Peter says. It's for your children and even for the Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles? That's you and me, most of us, unless you have a Jewish heritage. We're the Gentiles that Peter was talking about. Those who believed his message were baptized, and about 3,000 people were added to the church that very day. And right there was the turning point. Church was born. But I wonder, once again, have each of you experienced a spiritual turning point personally? Well, what are some signs if you've had a turning point in your life spiritually? What are some signs if... Yeah, we can tell. Well, if knowing and following Jesus is a top priority for you, you've probably had a spiritual turning point somewhere. If the Holy Spirit is active in your life and you sense him leading you and prompting you, you've probably had a spiritual turning point. If you are bothered by sin, your sin and other people's sin, you've probably had a turning point. If you care about and pray for your friends who don't know Christ, that's an indication that you've had a spiritual renewal. And if your relationships are growing instead of dying, if Bible reading, prayer, and regular worship is important to you, you've probably had a spiritual turning point. But if knowing and following Jesus isn't a priority, if the Holy Spirit is not active in your life, prompting you and leading you, if you're not bothered by sin whatsoever, if Bible reading, prayer, and worship is not a priority, and if your relationships are constantly in the ditch, maybe it's time for a spiritual turning point. Now, everybody struggles at times with something because we're all human, we all still sin, but Peter says there's two things you have to do in order to experience a spiritual turning point. And the first one is this. Peter says each one of us must turn from our sins. 
Now, the original word for this is repent. But it's more than just saying to God, God, I'm sorry for my sins. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. The word repent means to actually turn away from sin and start living a different way. The Bible teaches there's an initial repentance when you receive Jesus into your life, ask him to forgive you, and you're saved in that moment for all eternity, but there's also a need for ongoing repentance. So there's repentance for salvation, the moment we're saved, but as believers, there's a need for ongoing repentance to deal with our sin that we still commit. So some of you have asked for forgiveness for sins, God has forgiven you, you're saved for eternity, But if you're not serious about turning from it, if you're not serious about defeating a sin pattern in your life, then you're going to struggle to grow in your faith. You're going to struggle to love others. You're going to struggle to experience the Holy Spirit's power. The people said to Peter, what should we do? Do is an action word. It's more than just saying to God, God, I'm sorry for my sin. Please forgive me. It's doing something about it. So is there a habitual sin that you need to do something about and turn away from and get rid of? That will be a huge turning point in your life. One of the sins that I have struggled with all life long is careless words that will occasionally spill out of my my mouth, and I need to continually work at turning from that. And I've told you this before, but several years ago, my wife and I were at a restaurant, and a young waitress came up to our table and said, can I start you off with a $3 beer or a $5 margarita? Now, everybody knows that's a sales pitch, so I said, well, how about a free water? And I wasn't even nice about it. And as soon as I said it, I thought, Bob, what an idiot you are. And I felt this immediate conviction, this cutting of the heart, because God's spirit was convicting me of what I just had said and done. So as soon as she returned with our drinks, I said, I am so sorry for being so snotty a minute ago. That is totally unacceptable. Please forgive me for that. Her name was Tony. And Tony, she just lit up and she said, oh, no problem, don't worry about it. Then she said, you're that pastor (laughs) of that church, aren't you? And I said, oh, God. I said, yes. She said, well, a couple of my friends over there said, do you know who's sitting in your serving area? That's our pastor. And they were all excited that Tony had this amazing privilege of serving, you know, our table. And I completely blew it. Completely blew it. Now, the good thing is I was able to recognize my sin and apologize to Tony, and she forgave me, and I was even able to invite her to our church. And of course, I had to leave her this enormous tip that was bigger than I ever would have. But the truth is, if I just keep saying I'm sorry and not work at defeating that sin, I'm going to continue to fail and hurt myself and others by the things that I say and do. Now, the great news, that happened about six or seven years ago. I have not sinned like that with a waiter or waitress since. In fact, I've been overly kind. I think service people in, in, in our society take all kinds of abuse. And I just think they deserve better. So as Christians, would you join me in treating service people like Christ would? That's just kind of an, as an aside. Peter said, look, each of you must turn from your sins. Second thing he said, and be baptized. And I just want to ask a question. Have you been baptized? 
Not as an infant. That was a decision your parents made for you. Have you made the decision for yourself to be baptized? I want you to see what Peter says once again. Each one of you, not your brother, sister, parents, or whatever, each one of you and me, here, notice the sequence, must turn from your sins. An infant doesn't even know what sin is until they're about two or three. And then they need to become aware of what sin is. And you as a parent need to let them know this is sinful, this is wrong. That's the job of a parent. Okay? But infants don't know. Each one of you must turn from your sins and then, in sequence, then be baptized in Jesus' name for the forgiveness of your sins then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's when the Holy Spirit becomes active in your life and you'll begin to experience a new kind of power and joy and peace and hope. I can't fully explain this, but something permanent and powerful happens in a person's life when they get baptized. When you obey God in anything, he honors it. But people say to me all the time, Bob, since I was baptized, I began to experience God's favor in all areas of my life. My life began to change for the better in every way. Now, it's not a magic pill. We still live on earth. We still sin. It's it's a broken world. It's not going to be perfect, but there will be a turning point in your life whenever you take a step of obedience. And this is one way. You know, some people say, but Bob, can I get into heaven without being baptized? And the answer, of course, is yes, you can get into heaven without being baptized. The Bible says we are saved by faith, not by works, and not by baptism. We are saved by faith in Christ. But I want to voice a concern about that question because essentially what we're saying when we say, can I get into heaven without being baptized, is Jesus, I understand you paid for my sins on the cross. I understand you endured a brutal death to buy my freedom. You've blessed my life with innumerable gifts, including eternal life in heaven when I die. So Jesus, I will take your sacrifice so that I will get into heaven one day when I die. But when it comes to obeying you by being baptized and declaring publicly to my family, friends, and church that I'm fully devoted to you, you know, I think I'll take a pass. Friends, you don't want to say that. Other people have said to me, you know, Bob, I want to get baptized. But my parents wouldn't understand because we did the infant baby thing and, and they just wouldn't understand or my friends will freak or my grandparents wouldn't approve and I get that. I think there's a place for being sensitive to that. But ultimately, gang, this is your life. This is your decision. And you have to make up your mind how you as a person are going to live your life before God. And others are just going to have to understand that and accept that. And it will be a, a turning point, turning from sins and being baptized. When the people heard Peter's words, it says that 3,000 people turned from their sin that day and were baptized, and the church was born. And now 2,000 years later, here we are. I mentioned earlier that Gerhard Paragat was one of the men at Eaglebrook who, during my first years here, when I felt so alone and so lost, uh, he was one of the ones who was so loving to me and so kind. He was retired from 3M at the time. He was in his 60s. I was 
just a kid, just 34 years old, so he kind of took me under his wing and he loved me through that time. Well, not too long ago on a Saturday night, I wasn't speaking, so I went upstairs, way up in the back at, at the Lytle Lakes campus, and there I saw my old friend, 80-year-old now, Gearhart Paragut, sitting alone, uh, waiting for the service to begin. And so I slid in next to him, and without saying a word, he just beamed with delight. We stood to sing, the electric guitars cut loose, the drums seemed louder than normal, and I thought, Gearhart is going to flip out by how loud this is. But I glanced his ways and I saw tears in his eyes and I thought, we have pushed him over the edge. We've pushed him to tears. But instead, he looked across a couple thousand people who were standing in worship. He leaned over to me and he said, Pastor, just look what God has done. Just look what God has done. I tell you, there's nothing like the church when it's working right. Luke concludes chapter 2 with these words. He says, a deep sense of awe came over them, like it came over Gearhart and me as we just stood in worship. And the apostles performed many miracles and wonders. By the way, miracles still happen today. We pray for healing all the time, and sometimes God chooses to heal, sometimes he doesn't. But miracles can still happen in your life. And all the believers met together constantly and shared what they had. He goes on, they worshiped together in the temple, they met in homes, they shared what they had with great joy, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people, and the Lord added to their number daily, daily, those who are being saved. I am so glad that God is adding to our number daily, those of you who are being saved and redeemed and healed and touched by God. I'm so glad God is still active in our church, in the lives of people. Friends, you are the church, by the way. If you know Christ, you're the church. So whenever you encourage somebody or pray for somebody or support somebody or greet somebody, God is using you to make a difference in somebody's life. There is somebody here today that you could still have an impact on as you leave. Just a word or a smile, a good to see you started 2,000 years ago. We get to continue it. But if you need a turning point, friends, if you need a new heart, if you need a new hope, if you need a new joy and peace in your life, is there a sin that you need to turn from? And do you need to be baptized? I forgot to mention, we're going to have a baptism service. I don't know if these guys are going to be ready for this. There it is. Okay, good. We're going to have a baptism service February 28th, March 1st. It's going to be a fantastic weekend. And so you can sign up for this in the lobby or get online and, and join us. It's going, to be, it's going to be the highlight of the year. No kidding for a lot of us. Let's at all six campuses stand for closing prayer and be on our way today. <clears throat> Father, thanks so much for uh, the church. I thank you for all of the people who from day one for 57 years pointed me to you and built something into me. God, I, I pray that we will all, as we stand before you, look for ways to do that for other people. God, I pray for each person here who, you know, here in Minnesota, it gets really tough and 
Sometimes we get into arguments with people. We get tired of seeing the same people every day. And it gets hard. And some of us are just plain bored. So God, I pray that we will remember that you are for us and not against us. I pray that we will all remember to just lean into you every single day. That we can get through it and we can do all things, no matter how hard it is, through Christ, who gives us the strength. And so, God, I pray for that strength for every person standing here today as we leave here. Bless us now with your presence and power. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for coming, everybody.